I just praise you and thank you for seeing us here safely this morning and uh, uh, bringing all of our visitors to us. We're very thankful for that and uh, ask that we may be an uh, encouragement to them as they are to us. We thankful for the, uh, the moderating weather and also the moisture you've sent us this past winter that our, our mountains and farmers may enjoy the moisture coming up in the spring. And uh, But with that, we always ask for our continued safe travels. Uh, very thankful that uh, Brad, Dee, and Kaylin uh, arrived through the storm safely and just ask that you give them a uh, good stay here while they are here. Also, dear Father, we uh, ask your care and your uh, special blessing be upon Mr. Keller as he undergoes a surgery here in a few weeks, and just ask that all will go well there. And also, dear Father, we just ask that you be with us uh, this worship day, and also uh, with Dano as he brings a class to us this, this morning. As always, do beg your forgiveness in your son's great and powerful name. We pray. Amen. As Steve so. Happily put it, the last one. Uh, we will be concluding our study on Timothy and Titus uh, today. It is a uh, bittersweet ending. <laughs> uh, glad I'm done. Uh, next week we have a new series being brought. Do we have any inclination or is this show up and see what the magic is? Joseph. So we're going to start a new series next week. The Bigger Joseph? Oh, out of 11 Josephs, pick your Joseph. Got it. All right. Not pick your nose, pick your Joseph. Got it. Uh, next week, Steve will start a new, new series for us for uh, our class. We're going to be finishing our faithful, fruitful, effective lives according to Paul today. Um. And we're kind of going to look at the big picture today and kind of sum up a little bit of what's going on and then kind of take a look at what you guys saw or got out of this uh, from your study point. Uh, but in the big picture, we're talking about three books. We're talking about 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And in these three books, Paul does a number of things. But the three main things that he does is he instructs Timothy and Titus. But he's not just instructing Timothy and Titus. Who else is he instructing as we read through our books? Us. Here. Absolutely. Right? We like to think that Timothy and Titus have been letters written to just them. And as we looked at the conclusion of each one of those, grace and peace be with you all. It's not, <coughs> excuse me, grace and peace be with you, Timothy. Grace and peace be with you, Titus. This is instruction for all of us and how we can use this in our lives and what we can pull from it. He also warns. He warns of several things. What are the types of items that Paul was warning about in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus? False teachers. Absolutely. What else did he warn against? Backsliding. Yeah. Being lazy. Don't become complacent, right? In 2 Timothy, study to show thyself approved, meaning we are called to action. Don't become lazy. Don't become complacent. Watch out for those false teachers. So yeah, we're being warned. And the last thing that he does, and Paul does it really well, is he encourages his friends. He encourages his co-workers. He encourages those out there diligently fighting day in and day out for God's work. 
And in all three books, if you start reading through them, you can really start to see how we call these the epistles, right? The, the pastoral epistles. This is how you're supposed to preach, teach, and bring about elders. No, that's only this much of that book. It really is a very personable book, and it will relate to us somehow in some way if we sit down and start looking and digging through it, which is what we're kind of getting over here. But out of those three things, Paul stresses two essential priorities of the church. The first one is the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach sound doctrine. Teach sound doctrine. Now we got those two words interused within 1st 2 Timothy and Titus. Preach and teach. What's the difference? What's the difference between preaching and teaching? The spelling. <laughs> the spelling. How can I apply this? Showing, giving an example, living through Christ. I can teach that way. Now when I preach, I am talking. I am just giving it to you. Here's what I've got. Preach sound doctrine, but teach sound doctrine. I can get up and I can give you a lesson for 45 minutes. I've done it once or twice. Steve got great lessons. You want to come when he's, when is the next time you're up? Three weeks. Steve O's up for a lesson. Time change, the 10th, that's right. Uh, <laughs> good job on picking that day. <laughs> Great teachable moment right there, my friend. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we can get up here and we can give you a lesson. We can give you a sermon. And that's for us regurgitating some words and some thoughts that we've put down on paper. But if I don't live those words, if I don't teach through my lifestyle, what good is it? Right? And Paul gives us two ways to do it. Preach and teach. Right? And that's in relationship to the, to the gospel. The second essential priority of the church is discipleship. Now, what does discipleship mean to you? A follower of Christ. Okay. A committed follower. I like that better. Yeah, yeah. Convicted, committed follower. Not, not just someone who's doing it because this is the thing to do. Let me throw out a word for you. Tradition. Do we fall into this category of discipleship if we are following tradition? Based on Steve-O's explanation of committed, convicted follower. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just because it's done by everybody else and I'm following it. But tradition can be. 
if we've looked into it, if this is actually how we want to live our lives, is it the truth? Is it the gospel? Am I living correctly? Am I worshiping correctly? Am I thanking God correctly? Am I pushing God too far? <laughs> right? Now take that tradition and apply it to our lives. If we're actually studying, if we're actually looking, if we're actually digging into the Word, absolutely. Tradition can be okay. However, we'll get into that a little bit later. Tradition may not be okay. But the two things that Paul stresses in our priorities for the church, the gospel and discipleship. And we see that over and over and over through Timothy and Titus. Paul says some interesting things in, in the beginning of Timothy. Uh, Timothy 1.1, and again in Timothy 1.11, and again in, in 1 Timothy 2.7. He says that God entrusted him with the true gospel, and that God appointed Paul to teach and to herald the truth as an apostle. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He goes, all right, Timothy, all right, Titus, you too are now entrusted with the gospel. Guard the good deposit, as he calls it, right? Remain faithful to sound doctrine. Continue in what you learned from me. Continue in what you learned from Paul. Well, Paul's finding good men capable of going out and preaching and teaching. This means that they should also, according to 2 Timothy 2, 2, find faithful men who will be able to teach. But not just teach, but teach others. So what does this mean for Timothy and Titus? You have been sent out. Here's a good deposit. Here's what I am giving you. You go find others. What does that mean to them? What is their responsibility? Spread the word. Absolutely. But if I'm just to go find somebody, uh, Steve, come on, let's go. What am I going to do? How am I going to go do it? What is their responsibility if they're supposed to go find somebody? Live it. Share. So their responsibility is to teach to those that they're finding how to also teach others how their life is supposed to operate, work, according to the gospel and discipleship. Okay? Their responsibility is to find them in, but once they find them, we don't just let them go, do we? Go do what you need to do here. You're in a position. Have fun. No. Guide them. Equip them to do every good work. Encourage. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that, that Amber and I and Austin are big into is scouting, as, as most people do know. For those that don't, we're big into scouting. And scouting has a way by which we teach. It's called the EDGE method. You explain it, you demonstrate it, you guide them to do it, and then you enable them to do it on their own. And as you go through, it's always an encouragement all the way through. 
Now, if I'm coming up and I have a bunch of new scouts who have never been in the backcountry before, and here we are cooking a meal, cook that, cook that, get that cut up and do it. Fine, go. And I walk off. What are these young individuals going to think? This stinks. I got to work. But if I get in there, here's how you would use a knife. Here's how you cut it safely. Look, here's how I would cube my meat to make sure it's small enough that I can cook in time. Here's how you're going to get it into the pot. And I work with them. And I explain it. And as I'm explaining it, I'm demonstrating to them what's going to happen. These young minds will pick that up better than me just barking orders at them. But they've got to be encouraged. Good job. That's exactly how you need to do it. Right? As Steve pointed out, we also have to do that. New, young individuals coming in. Encourage them. Great job. Love to hear what you had to say today. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Sometimes that means then that we have to take action, right? We have to be cognizant that they may need that encouragement. They need that guidance. So we continue to help. Paul's calling Timothy and Titus to action. He's not just calling them, he's also calling us. They need to train those coming into leadership. We need to make sure that those coming into leadership are trained, are viable. right? They need to appoint them into positions in the church to help them. And once these stewards are in, they're trained and appointed, what kind of things should they be doing? Depends on their gifts. But if I'm brought in a steward into the, and we're going to say steward or overseer here in this case, as, as Timothy and Titus use the word, what kind of things should they be doing? Teaching. Encouraging. Absolutely. What was it? Leading. Leading. Yeah. Absolutely. Uphold the word. Uphold truth, right? They must care for the people. They've got to have a loving, caring heart, right? Can't come in with a club and just start swinging it. There's only one example that I know of in the Bible where they started slinging something around. And that's after Jesus went out, made a whip, brought it back into the temple and said, get out, I'm cleaning house. But even then, did he go in with brute force, just angry as all get out? He was controlled in his method. <laughs> he didn't just go in there and start flipping tables and throwing people over a wall. No. <laughs> he was mad. Look what you've done to my dad's house. Done. We're finished. Cleaning it up. But he did it in a controlled method. Sometimes that's what's needed, but in this case, that's the only example I can see of where beating them over the head with a club took care of the situation. No, with love and patience, we're told constantly in these three books here. They're supposed to also rebuke false teachers. The health of the church means that these leaders are modeling the gospel correctly. They were entrusted to it 
to continue the pattern of discipleship, just as Timothy and Titus were. And as that goes down, so are we. The health of the church depends on who? Us. If we are not studying, if we are not doing our due diligence, if we are not taking action, what happens? We become stagnant. We fall into doing the same thing over and over and over, which becomes... Habit or tradition? So let's flip over to false teaching. These books are huge on dealing with false teaching. What could false teaching be? <coughs> what are some items that we would look for in false teaching? Anything not substantiated, but how are you going to know what's substantiated in the Bible? By reading it and doing it. Outright lies. Omission of items. Yeah. Oops, I messed up. Caught in a lie and then went into a hole? No, no. Uh, they took him aside to correct him. He just didn't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, Apollo? Yes. Uh, right, right, right. Sometimes you just, like people do, they mess up. They mess up. But when they messed up, what happened? They were corrected. We have to know how to correct, right? So let me ask you this. Can tradition be false teaching? How? It's the wrong tradition. If we have grown complacent and we just simply do this because this is what we've always been taught, that can become false teaching. Right? Uh, we were talking today as we were coming in how Uber has a new... Uh, trafficking issue going on with it. So you call up an Uber. How many people know what an Uber is? <clears throat> it's basically a taxi. You can get on your phone wherever I'm at say, I need an Uber. I need one for this many people. <clears throat> Excuse me. I need it at this location at this time. Okay, great. And they show up with a, an Uber and you jump in, they take you to your destination, and you get out and everything's done on your phone and you don't have to swipe money, swipe your card, you can tip them if you want, how is your service, it pops up on your phone, thank you very much, and off we go. They have a new problem with human trafficking through Ubers. I order an Uber, here it comes. Now, when you order an Uber, you get three pieces of critical information. Your driver's picture, the car's license plate, and the type and make and color of that car. Or SUV, depending on whatever you get. Okay, great. Here it comes. There it is. I see it. 
Lady reaches over, opens the door, you jump in and you go, and five minutes later, your Uber driver's calling you going, where are you? What happened? That was the color of the car. I just jumped in. There's some things that happen. The Uber driver is supposed to get out and greet you and open the door from the outside, not from the inside. So you can see their face and see who it is. You can match up the license plate. You can match up the color and type of the car. However, they're just pulling up in the same type of car, and you're gone. <clears throat> Paul's teaching is just like that. Are we looking for the big picture, and that's all we're focused on? Or are we actually paying attention to the finer details? Are we matching up the license plate? Are we matching up what is said here? with what we're being told. Because tradition can become false teaching. <clears throat> so how do we use that information to have a faithful, fruitful, effective life? How can we use the two essential priorities of the church, the gospel, discipleship, how can we use being entrusted with this information to teach and to preach, to herald the truth, as Paul tells us, to care for God's people, to uphold the word, to rebuke false teachers? How can we use that in our lives? Action. What kind of action? So in what ways can we use that to promote the gospel or discipleship? Putting it into action. We're all called to action. We can put it into action, but we often stop there, don't we? I'm called to action. Great, what do I do? It sounds like work, absolutely. That's why he said it's useful for every good work, not every good thing you might want to do. <laughs> What kind of work is that? What is the action that you can take? What's the next step? We can define that I have to go out into the world and spread and teach the word. How am I going to do that? What actions are you going to take? Absolutely. There we go. Every time Tom goes somewhere, <clears throat> I hope somebody breaks down. Great prayer, buddy. <laughs> Fall into the ditch. Why? So that I can stop and help them. I can talk to them. I can get to know them. They can see in my life Christ. That is a call to action. Absolutely. Now, we don't want them to break down, do we? But if they are there, Lord, put them in my path so that I can take action. Absolutely. What kind of things can you do in your lives? Something for you to think about. How am I going to put into action what I'm being told? Because just to know that I have to take action is not enough. We'll become stagnant. And we'll just rely on doing the same things over and over. Okay? Paul talks about troubles 
and having troubles in our life. It says all believers, and as we start looking through there, especially the, the faithful, the church leaders, the believers that are really taking action are going to face threats. They're going to face times of difficulty. We have two choices, that means to me, that I am seeing within these, these three books. I can avoid being faithful, in which case I don't have to worry about those terrible times, do I? Or I can meet the challenges head on. Here they come. Here's a difficult time in my life. What am I going to do about it? Is it a choice, really? Is it a choice? God. Do it yourself or you can do it with God. Doing it ourselves. Does it work out? We dang it. I wish it would. Right? I can do this. I can make it happen. Or I can do it with God. Right? How does Paul tell Timothy and Titus to meet these challenges? How are they supposed to meet challenges that come up against them? Whether it be false teachers, whether it be uh, those who are trying to deceive or create corruption and disruption within the church itself. How are they told to handle these situations? Directly, yeah. But there's specific ways in which we were supposed to do it. Big club? Patience. Love. With love and patience. On our part, then, that means we need to understand that we are going to get frustrated. And it might not be that they're having an issue and they're trying to call dissension and, and, and issues within the church. It may be something that I am personally going through as well. Something in my life has come up that is challenging me, my lifestyle, my belief, my relationship with Christ. How are we supposed to deal with it? Same way, with love and patience. We have to know we still love Christ. Christ still loves us. He's not going to put us into any situation that is going to be detrimental to our belief with Him, our relationship with Him. He's putting us in a position to grow our relationship. And we have to do it with love and patience. The challenges we meet, the goals that Paul gave to Timothy and Titus, are ones I think we can continue to bring with us. But are there any passages? We've read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Are there any new passages in there that you found to give a new lead, a new perspective, a new understanding of God's grace in your life? What kind of scripture did you find in there that helped you in First and Second Timothy or in Titus? Do you have any examples? Anything come to mind? Your favorite verse out of those three books? Everybody's kind of going, 
crikey. What did I read? <laughs> What's in there again? <laughs> How about a concept? Any concepts that you found within those three books that gave you a new perspective or, or ways to understand God's grace? One of mine was 2 Timothy 2.15. We all know that one. Study to show thyself approved. Right? Now, as I started going through and I started looking at this, all right, I'm, I'm sitting down with the Bible and I'm reading through it. Okay? I'm starting to understand a little bit more. I see how Scripture entwines throughout the Bible. But the one thing that it challenged me to do was to challenge the teachings of old. How do I know that those are correct? I mean, good old Roy Robinson got up here and told me what to do, how to live. Right? I, I, I got this from my grandfather, who got it from his grandfather, who got it from for generations on and on and on and on. But how do I know that's truth? How do I know that's the way it should be? If I just simply take it for granted and I'm not the one studying it, it's not my faith. It's not my belief. I'm told to study to show thyself approved, not let your grandfather study and tell you what to do so you can be approved. But that was the challenge that I took out of this. Don't blindly follow what you're being taught. Not by me, not by Curtis, not by Steve-O, not by anyone who gets up in front of you. Challenge it. Take it home. Study it. That's what I got out of one of them. Do you have any examples that along those lines? We're going to get out early today. Did you need to go get Leonard? Oh, okay, you're good. You're good. I'm going, you're late. <laughs> yeah, okay, good deal, good deal. Fully confident, really. To me, it's very encouraging that he knows what's ahead and yeah, that is awesome to be that comfortable knowing the end is here. Paul knew his time was coming short. I mean, he is urging. These are the last letters written by Paul. He knows it. I'm, I'm done, but I'm okay with it. He's comfortable knowing where he's going. How many of us can say that? Are we okay right now? Is there anything that we'd like to finish? We'd like to complete a person we'd want to go talk to, a friend that we haven't seen in a while, a hurt that we wanted to fix or mend. Well, what kind of things go through your mind when you think about the possibility of dying now? How is my wife going to make mortgage? 
How are they going to survive? Have I left them in a position to do this? Paul's going, I'm ready. Let's do it. That's a sobering thought. That's hard. I don't know if I can do it, honestly. I couldn't say I'm ready right now. Let's go. I want to be. But yeah, that's... That guy doesn't beat around the bush, though. <laughs> and he still doesn't use punctuation sentences. It would not surprise me to find some ancient manuscript that starts with, I am Paul, an apostle of Christ sent to you, and three chapters later, finally find the period. <laughs> that would not surprise me in the least. No, he, he knew it was coming. He was ready to go. Come see me quick. Time is short. Is our time any shorter? Any longer? Oh, we don't know. Yeah. Paul closes his letter to Timothy, or excuse me, to Titus, with a challenge. But he doesn't just challenge Titus. He challenges all of us. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Titus 3.14. Two verses before the end of that chapter and before the end of Titus. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so that they may not be unfruitful. I'll ask you a question for my feedback. Has this series, has this topic, has this study helped you with a fruitful, faithful, effective life? I hope. No. <laughs> Twelve weeks. We blew through this pretty quick. There are things that I did not touch on. I did not touch on them intentionally. Why? Huh? Part two? Uh, you know, it falls back to Timothy 2. Yeah, you're right. 2 Timothy 2, 2, 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved. There are things that we refer to in Titus and in Timothy as being, these are the things we need to know. We brushed against them in 12 weeks. Covering these three books has been mind-blowing. It has been awesome for me, and I thank you for that. But go and think about it. Think about the last few months, the studies that we've had, the lessons, the scriptures. And I challenge you to go back through your notes this week, if you've taken them. Go back and reread, if you haven't read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. See if there's anything new that stands out, that pops out. We just, oh, we briefly touched on this, but really, what's that mean? And don't stop there. Look at Colossians. Look at Corinthians. Look at Acts. How do these relate? Because there are so many times that Paul comes back and forth, and we get more information if we look at the whole picture. But look at anything you might have highlighted in your Bible. Anything you might want to highlight in your Bible. Reflect on the themes of the gospel and discipleship. 
try to regain some of that focus that the Lord's trying to teach us about Himself. But think about how these things can be an inspiration for a faithful, fruitful, effective life. And how are we going to apply them today? Now, a few things that I told you I would come back to at the very, very, very first lesson that we did back October, November-ish time frame. The three things that we need to learn and how they can apply to our life. How can this lead us to praise God? How can the words that we're reading lead us to praise God more fully? How are these topics going to help me repent of my sin? And the last one, how can I take the information here and apply it in my way, in, in my life, in such a way that I can trust in God's promises fully, without hesitation? Those are the three things that really help us to lead that faithful, fruitful, effective life, aren't they? Lead me to praise God. Lead me to repent. And lead me to trust in God's promises. These past few months have truly been inspiring for me. I've got a lot out of it. I hope it's been the same way for you. Um, it really was a, a treasure and my pleasure to present it. So thank you. Next week, Joseph. Out of 11, pick your own. Uh, Steve's going to start next week off with uh, Joseph. I thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much.